here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, welcome inside to the adapting side of Alex Garrett podcasting and uh, adapting. Yes, we're, we're all working toward that now as we're sort of seeing this pandemic restrictions be lifted. And I don't think I could welcome a better guest than the Pacific Legal Foundation. They've been on with me before. In fact, Daniel Ortner, I believe you've been on with me before talking about New York state restrictions, haven't you? I believe that's right. So from when we last talked, we kind of talked about how Cuomo was possibly most likely violating constitutional rights with all these lockdown measures. And even with the reopenings, Pacific Legal says that's still going on. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so we've uh, we just uh, we took over a, a lawsuit that was filed uh, in the fall of last year by uh, small theaters and comedy clubs in New York City. Um, the uh, theaters and comedy clubs were shut down for all of last year. They were only allowed to reopen just in, in the beginning of April, so it was a uh, more than a full year of being shut down. And throughout that time, similar uh, venues and uh, businesses were allowed to open in, in far greater capacity um, than they were. Uh, for instance, uh, bars and restaurants could have live music or live performers, but they couldn't have a, a small theater performance. So there was a lot of uh, double standards at work. Um, recently, um, the the new two the, the changes uh, it was such that the theaters that we represent, a couple of them have uh, religious meetings, churches or synagogues meeting in the same space, and you could have on Sunday morning a uh, church service could have. Um, a greater number of people at the church service, and two hours later, uh, fewer people could attend uh, a Sunday matinee. So it was absolutely illogical and hypocritical, and so uh, that's why we took over this lawsuit. Uh, and now the, the capacity limits are finally lifting, but there's still, even still, some unequal treatment in terms of the health and safety uh, restrictions that have been in place, um, greater you know, distancing requirements and masking and other uh, seating requirements put on the small theaters compared to churches or other businesses. So the unequal treatment is continuing even now. So we are just uh, standing up for the principle of, of equal treatment. The First Amendment rights uh, cannot be discriminated against um, based on the, 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 your preference, the type of speech that you like. And so how have you guys been doing with the, the suit? How's the progress? And I've often wondered if one of these lawsuits could actually get to the Supreme Court. I don't know if this is going to be one of them, but is there something that could be challenging the court, you know, Supreme Court of Governor yeah, Cuomo? Absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. So this this case, so we just just took over uh, this case recently. It was filed back um, in October of last year, uh, and basically there was a, a motion for a preliminary injunction, and then that was um, withdrawn by the by. Um, previous counsel when some of the policies changed. So there haven't been any decisions in the case yet. We think we have a good chance of, um, of getting some relief for our clients, as long as there's continue to be unequal treatment uh, by the city and state of New York. Um, so, and, you know, this is an important issue that uh, we think has a good chance of going to the Supreme Court if the court decides, decides on it. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruled against Governor Cuomo and against Governor Newsom in California and against others uh, regarding church closures, uh, basically said that if you're treating churches worse than other comparable secular businesses, uh, you have to justify that under uh, strict scrutiny, which is the hardest uh, standard of review for government action. It's a standard that governments rarely uh, meet. Uh, We think the same principle applies here. Um, when uh, other businesses and churches and other activities are being treated better than theatrical performances, the same thing applies. Strict scrutiny applies to the government's actions. They have to prove 
uh, why they are ne- this is necessary to treat theaters differently and worse, and we don't think they'll be able to do so. Well, any other aspects of the city? Because I also know that th- th- getting the theaters back open in a safe capacity has been an issue. Has that been talked about in the suit at all? And, and what's the arguments um, for reopening uh, with safety standards? Any, anything there that, that we could talk about? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think the, the main the argument is, you know, if other, really, this case is about equal treatment, ultimately. If uh, a restaurant or a church service can have a certain number of people, uh, the same should apply to small theaters. There's no reason to treat them differently. Uh, right now, obviously, we're seeing easing of restrictions as uh, vaccinations increase and people and the rate of COVID goes down. And so we're really demanding just equal treatment ultimately for uh, these theaters. You know, they've done everything right uh, to be safe. They installed uh, new uh, air filtration equipment. They've installed plexiglass barriers. They've uh, put sanitizing, hand sanitizing stations everywhere. You know, all the things that you expect the business to do. Uh, to be able to stay open. And, you know, part of the problem has been from the beginning, there's been certain things are viewed as essential and other things are viewed as not essential. But theatrical performances are a protected right under the First Amendment. They're an artistic form that gets First Amendment protections. And so it's not, the government shouldn't be able to say that that activity is not essential. Um, and that, that's been a problem from the beginning. And, you know, it's gone, gone on for a full year, uh, more than a year, where they've been treated worse. And if, if restrictions come back, the same thing is going to happen again because uh, the government obviously thinks that they can do this. Well, yeah, they do. And that's the scary part of all of this. They, they, they can pull the switch once. How many times can they pull a switch, right, Daniel? That That's a big concern. I like the whole... Yeah, well, but, part, yeah. mm-hmm. Go for it. Oh, uh, no, I was going to say that the you know part of the problem has been the the policies have been so arbitrary. Uh, you know, originally New York had a four tier reopening uh, scheme where certain businesses were in different tiers, uh, and you know theaters were in the same in in tier four, the last tier, along with uh, indoor restaurants and some other. Uh, activities uh, turned out those were allowed to open. Business restaurants were allowed to reopen, uh, bars and uh, indoors, uh, and theaters were uh, left out for no reason. You know, no explanation why. So it's been just arbitrary treatment throughout. Um, you know, not really rational. Not really. The government doesn't have to explain itself. That's part of the problem with this rule by executive order that's ha- been happening over the past year plus. Uh, governors make policy overnight without any need to explain to the public what they're doing and why they're doing it. And it subverts the normal process of lawmaking, which should be through the legislator, where there's room for vigorous debate and discussion and um, and, uh, and influence. Uh, and then uh, you know, even when the governor or an agency makes policy, they have to explain it to the public. They have to go through a notice and comment rulemaking process. Uh, get public feedback. None of that's been happening for the whole year of the pandemic. All the most important decisions in states, all the you know, states all across the country, have been made by one person or a small group of bureaucrats uh, that are appointed by that governor. Um, and there's just no public accountability, and that that needs to, needs to stop. Well, it does, and you know, especially now with Cuomo. How, I mean, how is he not in any legal trouble with everything that's been coming out? Do you? Mm-hmm. Do you foresee with the book deal, with the harassment, with all this, I mean, could it hit legally or is this going to have to be a political decision now that people have to make? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if there are any legal uh, consequences that he, you know, anything he's violated. I, I, I can't speak on that. I, I do I do hope there will be political consequences for, for all of this. Uh, you've had governors you know, really going out of their way to shut businesses down for months on end. And they, I think, I hope that there will be some 
you know, some, some uh, reckoning for that. Have, have really, nursing homes, have, have people who've lost families in nursing homes, have they contacted Pacific Legal at all? Or have you guys been involved with fighting for those people as well? That, that's not really something we would we would be involved with uh, for fighting for damages. I know there are uh, law firms that have been involved with with uh, that issue, but it's not something we'd be involved with. What we usually do is, when governments are violating rights, we to uh, stop them from doing so, get relief, you know, to, to prevent government um, misconduct and, and unlawful activity. So, we're fighting. Uh, to, to stop the government from continuing to do things that violate rights. Well, it's good to hear that New York's been on your radar and they've had you on their radar because I know that Pacific Legal is obviously out there in the West, but having you guys here, I think, brings some comfort. So, you know, people mm-hmm. may, not, may not know this, but you guys have also argued in the Supreme Court, right? Tell us tell us a little about those experiences, if, you, if you've if you had any. Yeah, we've actually had um, four, 14 cases before the United States Supreme Court. Uh, actually, for 15 now, we had one this, this term we're waiting on. We've won 12 of those cases. We're expecting another win. Uh, this, this year, we had a, a very important property rights case, the Cedar Point case, which was about the state of California saying that, you know, that uh, Property owners had to let the union organizers onto their property uncompensated uh, for hours and hours on end, and many times a year. And so we, we argue and believe the Supreme Court's going to rule in our favor that that uh, is a taking. The government is physically occupying your property, um, you know, for forcing others to you to allow others on your property. Uh, so we have that case at the Supreme Court. We've had cases, uh, free speech cases, property rights cases, separation of powers cases, a variety of, of cases that we've litigated and been very successful in our efforts to, to win at the Supreme Court. All right. Change of administrations. How How is that um, affecting legal practices for you guys. I feel like that could be ramping up legal practices for you guys because aren't we seeing an infringement on rights by the Biden administration here and there or or more than just here and there? Yeah, there are certain areas where there's really a ramp up. I think the biggest one that I'm very involved with uh, personally is uh, race discrimination, policies by the Biden administration that actively take race into account and discriminate on the basis of race. Um, we just filed a lawsuit today, actually, uh, in, in Florida, uh, challenging the uh, Farm Loans Forgiveness Program. The Biden administration says uh, if you're a disadvantaged, socially disadvantaged farmer, you get your loans forgiven, and they define that only based on race. So the only qual- qualification is you are a racial minority. If you're a white farmer, uh, you're out of luck, no matter how poor you are, no matter how um, much you need uh, forgiveness. Uh, so we have filed a lawsuit today uh, challenging that program. Uh, there are going to be many more of those types of lawsuits to come. Uh, the Biden administration is uh, you know, relentlessly pursuing race-based uh, measures. So that, that, I think, is the biggest area that we've seen like a real change uh, from the Trump administration to the Biden administration is that this relentless focus on the use of race, um, you know, pushing critical race theory in the classrooms and such as well. We're, we're uh, keeping a close eye on that. But we, we you know, see a lot of concern over that. Really, the, the guarantee of the Constitution is equal treatment for all, regardless of race. Um, and the Biden administration doesn't really understand that. They think that special treatment is justified, and it, it, we're, we're going to continue to fight back against that principle. Well, that is that is intense. I mean, look here in New York. I don't know if you dealt with it, but we've had, you know, these schools. Well, only one or or two, you know, not everyone can make a special school or are gifted and talented. It has to be one or two certain sectors. You notice that? I I don't know if you guys have been fighting that as well, but yeah, we actually have a a lawsuit uh, in New York right now against uh, Mayor De Blasio's uh, policies regarding. or regarding the mag, uh, mag, special magnet specialty school admissions, 
you know, discrimination against Asian students especially. These programs are often, and we have another lawsuit in Virginia, and uh, friends of TJ, uh, TJ being one of the uh, most um, successful uh especially schools in the country, these policies that are intended to be uh, opening the, leveling the playing field, but really what they're doing is dramatically discriminating against Asians, uh, and that's really the whole point of them. They're designed to reduce the Asian student population and the white student population, but really Asians are the, the main uh, group that's harmed by these policies. Uh, so we, we've been very active in that. We have several lawsuits uh, challenging those types of uh, policies and we you know we've seen an increase of that fortunately this, this idea that you need to sacrifice academic quality you need to sacrifice uh, meritocracy in order to uh, promote a group identity and that that's really contrary to the ideal of individualism and the idea that everyone should be judged based on their own merits and talents and not based on their, their group identity it seems like we're a country of a quota now and I think that's going to be dangerous moving forward and I'm sure you guys at Pia uh, Pacific legal would agree. Daniel, um, I got I'm not totally a quote unquote gun guy. I don't, you know, I don't have one, but I do believe in constitutional rights and I feel like we're going to see a lot of those cases too popping up here. Mm-hmm. That's not an issue that we, we deal with at, at Pacific Legal Foundation, but I, I think you know, generally speaking, there, there, there's a real danger of rights being undermined. Um, you know, the, the idea I mentioned individualism, and I think that's really uh, the key, is individual rights, uh, protecting individuals and in their, their choices and their li- you know, livelihoods and their right to speak uh, freely. Um, the, it really is a, a danger. We, you see an increased effort to go after people if they they don't think like you, uh, if they say things that are that are offensive or or not uh, correct. To, to go after people for that. Well, let, let, really let's alarming go, trend. Yeah, let's go back to New York for that. I don't know if you guys have covered this, but obviously Cuomo was targeting who gets the vaccines and who doesn't. If you're not on Cuomo's side, you won't get the vaccines. How is that not an illegal issue? I feel like it could be. Yeah, I think it will be. Um, we saw the same thing in California, uh, actually even even more blatantly in California, where it was um, if certain areas that were minority heavy got more doses of the vaccine, whether they needed it or not. It wasn't based on the actual need of how to request vaccines. So you had doses wasted being sent to places where there wasn't enough need a demand, and you had places that had high demand uh, for vaccines. Uh, being denied, people not being given enough doses. It was just a really illogical policy, and it slowed down the state's uh, you know, vaccination uh, plans by several weeks. So really irresponsible and, and likely unlawful if they're they're doing it with this race. Exactly. Well, uh, let me see here. So, Daniel, you know, the other thing about uh, all of these different situational things is— um, well, it just hurts New Yorkers. And, and the reason why I wanted to bring on to the adapting side is, yes, the legal system can help you adapt to what's going on by fighting it, right? Daniel, are you- yeah, 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 well, you know, what we do at Pacific Legal Foundation is we help individuals whose rights are being violated. We represent them pro bono, so for free. Um, to fight back and help them to win against the government when their rights are violated. You know, we, we honor the, the brave people who, who stand up and fight and say, you know, I don't want my rights being trampled on. I'm willing to, to stand up and fight, and we help them do so. That's that's our, our job. Uh, we help people to stand up and to fight back and to win and back against government overreach. I've often wondered, because I always think NIMBY, not my backyard, and, you know, anti-government, in a sense, is always on the right side. But... 
I feel like liberals have also gotten a wake-up call, haven't they? I mean, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but it seems that liberals have gotten also a wake-up call that, yeah, your party's not not helping you, and maybe they're waking up to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. Really, what, what I hope people realize, realized over the past uh, several years is that oversized government is a problem for everyone. When when party you like is in power, you might have things you like happen, but when uh, things change, and they always do, uh, when you know, the party you oppose is in power, they're going to enact policies you don't like. Um, and the best remedy is a government that is checked, that is limited in size, that is accountable, um, that that protects rights and uh, does not infringe on them. That's the best remedy for everyone. And so I, I hope that people will see that. I'm, I'm uh, you know, confident that many people realize that, even though there's a, always a relentless push, um, this administration uh, to, uh, you know, push more aggressively to enact more and more regulations and laws that violate rights. So I, I, I'm hopeful that people are waking up and seeing that. Yeah, and, and I was just going to say, I feel like it does cross party lines, the infringement. So I'm sure under Trump's administration, you did have some cases that maybe weren't talked about as much, but I'm sure you guys still had some federal cases to deal with. Yeah, of course. I mean, every, every administration does things that are unlawful. Uh, each, each side has their own ways that they infringe on rights and things that they do better or worse than others. I think what we need is a refocus on rights and individualism ultimately. But, you know, individual rights uh, are guaranteed by the Constitution. We have liberty. Uh, the, the, the founding principles uh, found in the Declaration, found in the Constitution, are all men are created equal and are endowed by the Creator with life, liber- the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit, right, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, these rights that we have that are that we need to protect and fight back on, those are individual rights, uh, not group rights, not collective rights, but individuals, uh, individual rights. And we need to, to re- you know, get a, re- a, re- a renewed appreciation for that. I feel like you guys are going up against an activist uh, legal system, right? So do you find that at all? Do you find that you're dealing with people who might have a bias on the jury? It feels like a valid question to ask nowadays. Hmm. We don't have, don't do jury have a lot of jury trials, but judges, I mean, vary a lot on the spectrum. Right now, there are a lot of very good appointees. I think President Trump, one of his uh, main accomplishments, I'd, I'd say my, my you know, number one accomplishment from, from him was the appointment of really stellar judges uh, at the Supreme Court and elsewhere. So it's helped a lot, actually. I think for a lot of judges that he's appointed are, are very uh, open to our arguments we make and thoughtful about them. So it's, it's, you know, it's an encouraging time to be litigating um, on many of our issues. The Supreme Court itself on, on many issues like free speech has never been better. There's never been a better Supreme Court um, for protection of, of free speech, for protection of religious freedom, for protection of individual rights um, and individualism. The Supreme Court is the best ever been on many, many issues. So I find it a very encouraging time to be litigating um, that might change with new appointees. But right now, it's, it's a very, very good time to be fighting for freedom, ultimately. Now, one I got to be honest here. One reason I wanted you guys on, and I don't think you guys can weigh in on this, is I want people to know the FBI has been seizing heirlooms, coins, cash from hundreds of safe deposit boxes in Beverly Hills, despite knowing some. So I, my, my whole thing when I read that, when they seize things, even though they could be belonging to honest citizens, it's just, is this administration going to go away from warrants and just keep going in there and, and doing these things? It feels kind of wild to read a headline like that. Hmm. Is this about, like a forfeiture of assets you're talking about? Well, yeah, the FBI sees heirlooms, coins, and cash from hundreds of safe deposit boxes in Beverly Hills. 
It's crazy. This is one area where the Trump administration did, did do some reforms on civil asset forfeiture. Um, you know, the government can't pay your, your assets when they're bringing a case against you, um, just you know, until they prove their case, essentially, or have, have some proof that they need to take away your assets. That's an important principle. It's not one that we're very involved with directly, but it's one that I, I know the Trump administration made some good strides on, and I'm hopeful that uh, those will keep uh, you know, being cemented and they're not going to be undone completely. So uh, I think that, that that's an you know, important principle that you, know, you, you have, you're entitled to due process. Uh, the government can't take away what you have before it's proven your, their case against you. And when they try to do so, it tilts the playing field. And if you can't afford an attorney, then you can't afford to live your life. You're you're, you're going to be pressured to settle really quickly, and and uh, it, it's really unfair to litigants. So I, I, it's a practice I think we that need needs reform, significant reform. Well, whenever I hear the Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment could be violated, my ears perk up. I'm like, I got a legal person on that because. How can we even allow that, and how can we fight it? I guess would be my bigger question. Yeah, you know, I think a big part of that would be fighting in in, in states. Actually, there's a lot. Of, I mean, yeah, you know, the federal government does some of this, but it's actually states are the big offenders. Like one thing we've we've dealt a lot with is uh, what we call home equity theft, which is uh, someone uh, over under you know underpays their taxes by a small amount by mistake or doesn't know about a tax bill, and their whole house gets seized, uh, sold at auction, and the government keeps all the proceeds. Um, and it's a major problem in, in at least a dozen states right now that we're really fighting against. We've had some big wins in Michigan and elsewhere on that issue. So that, that's, that's a state level issue, and and so we need, you know, and asset or asset forfeiture is the same thing. States are doing this. So uh, those of us who are in states where you know, that have, might be open to legislation or to reform, that's on us as citizens to push back and, and you know, speak up and uh, urge. Uh, change at the state level. I think that that's the biggest thing we can do right now is push for for changes at the state level on some of these policies. All right. The biggest um, the biggest thing that I, I want to ask now is this. Circling back to New York to Cuomo. Okay. So the guidance has been changed by the CDC and whatnot. If they were already violating while the guidance was to wear masks and all this, who's to say? Uh, first of all, are the CDC guidelines law now, or is that just recommendation? So. Let's say they keep the mask mandate on. They're not breaking a law, right? I, I wanted to know that. So, so each state gets to decide what it what it does with the CDC guidance. Uh, New York just announced that starting I believe tomorrow they're going to be following the CDC guidance. Uh, California has said that they're not going to be following it until June 15th. So for a whole other month, uh, people are going to be required to wear masks when there's there's no medical reason for it. Uh, so it's really up to states to do so. Uh, private businesses could could keep requiring masks. Uh, if they want to, even after a state lifts its mandate, there's no reason that a private business couldn't do so. Uh, so, you know, an individual business could, could still decide to do so. Individuals can still wear masks if they want to. But the, the mandates in, in most states, they've, they've gone away uh, in light of the CDC guidance. I think it's it, you know, time for that. But California is still, you know, for another month, requiring masks for no, no reason at all, no medically justified reason. Unbelievable. Well, you know, and so... I guess as we're seeing things be lifted by the CDC, is there a chance constitutional freedoms could still be violated simply by extending the guidance at all? Like, could they twist that into something that could be a violation? Well, I, I think I mean the the problem you're getting at is that you know there's no end to this uh, emergency necessarily. You know, governors could keep it going uh, even after you know they're, they're now lifting a lot of the. the uh, requirements, the distancing limits, the capacity limits, but they're keeping their authority in place. 
um, to enact new emergency orders when they want to. I haven't seen many governors uh, say, we're, you know, the emergency is over. We no longer need this power. And so we're hoping to see that happen quickly so that states are no longer under the rule of un, you know, government uh, governors and uh, unelected bureaucrats that, that serve them. Um, but they have are back to the rule, rule of law. Well, that's that's all a mouthful. I got to rehear that and 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 uh, think about that. But thank you, Daniel, for reacting to all of this. And please come back as we see things go, as we see see things lifted. Some places, not some places. I, I want your thoughts and tell us how this case goes for Broadway. Yeah, we will do for sure. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. You got it. I'm Alex Garrett. Where, of course, we're always adapting. We'll talk to you soon. So,